Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Over the past year or so, I have discussed different topics of interest and concern from what I participated. I have also reviewed some teaching and books with the intent to encourage others to test things against Scripture and to use critical thinking while growing in spiritual maturity and in fellowship with God through His Word and prayer. And during that time, I have engaged in conversations with those who express gratitude for discussing the issue at hand or who respectfully disagree and are willing to dialogue without ad hominem attacks and heated rebuttals. And I actually enjoy those discussions. I enjoy any of the discussions, really, even if people disagree, because if we're able to talk with one another and to have a respectful discourse, then we can learn from one another. We can grow. I don't have all the answers. That person doesn't have all the answers, but we can look to scripture that has the answers we're looking for, and we can grow from there. And I think it's really important that we engage with people that we disagree with on these matters, if they're professing believers in Christ, or if they're not even professing believers. So that way we can be sharpened by the word of God and we can continue to learn and grow. And maybe if that person isn't a believer, that we can minister the gospel to them and pray and ask the Lord to soften their hearts and to help them hear what the, the truth was and that God will work on them to understand the true gospel. And so with what I came out of and the things that I say now and the things that I write, it does spark up some conversations. And some of those conversations are fruitful and they're helpful. And they also help me and sharpen me and prune me to, to learn how to talk to people and to be humble and to also stand on the truth of the word when it's there in plain sight and to not compromise in that way. And there are dialogues which do not go so well, however, and probably should have been left unanswered most of the time. I tend to engage people at times, especially if they're saying something that is completely contradicting scripture, that I just feel like I need to say something to them. And there have been times that I'll get down the trail with them of talking and it's not going anywhere on either side. It's it's becoming an unfruitful conversation. And so I have to realize if it's getting to where it's just hostile and I'm not honoring God and I, and I am understanding that I don't want to say something that's going to dishonor the Lord, it's a growing process for sure. And there are dialogues I've engaged in. And after the fact, I've thought, why did I do that? You know, this, this was just very unfruitful. This wasn't going to go anywhere. And this is someone I've probably talked to more, on more than one occasion there are things that I'm still personally learning and growing in as we all are in learning when to fight battles, to pick my battles and when to just bow out and to be quiet. And sometimes that can be hard, especially for those of us that have that strong, that strong will or strong personality that we want to uh, be vocal. And we want to say something, especially when we know something is not true. So I have engaged in dialogues, but the love for people to know the truth outweighs that judgment at times. And that's the concern I have is that when I see something that I've looked into and measured against scripture, and I've seen Bible scholars that have done the same or people that have a good reputation for doing that, and I see the work that they're doing and it's measuring up and showing, yes, this is what the word says, what this other person is saying, according to this, the research done is not matching up to scripture and we need to be aware of what's going on. 
then I will, I will say something because we need to be loving enough that we tell people the truth. But then there are comments that I see that may receive a comment or not. And this usually happens when I have touched one of God's anointed, as I've been told. I've been told that many times over the past couple years that I've been touching God's anointed. And this is a reference to Psalm 105, 15, where it says, touch not God's anointed and do my prophets no harm. So I've heard that on more than one occasion, or I hit a nerve of some sorts and people will say things to me. And I'm going to share some comments here in just a minute. But uh, I started noticing this pattern specifically when I addressed a particular individual recently. I had done a couple of different things. I had about a month or so ago, I had done a Facebook Live and had shared the gospel on there because my concern was that this this particular individual was not a, a sharing the gospel. There was um, a, a contortion of the gospel shared. It was a, a twisting of the gospel. And I really didn't even hear the gospel being shared when I listened to this person minister. And I did take time to listen to this person minister and listen to what they were saying. And they were also saying things that were very unbiblical uh, um, instructions. They were telling people. And uh, it also had to do with the deliverance ministry, too. There's some questions and concerns I have with that. So I addressed that in a loving way. And then there was a short, um, basically showing what this person was ministering in a short clip from their own account and um, showing how scripture actually did not support what they were saying. And it was a little bit more, for lack of a better word, it was a little bit more edgy, I guess, depending on which one you saw, there were two different ones on that. But I noticed that the comments were the same because there were people that were loyal to this individual. And that's not uncommon in, in, for example, the particular movement I came out of with the hyper charismatic or NAR, especially when you have apostles and prophets, there are people that are going to be loyal to these individuals because loyalty is something that's really heavily touched on in this movement that you need to be loyal. You don't want to be dishonorable. And so I began to see people that really supported this individual and um, they were saying things that were, for lack of a better word, I mean, it was just, it was not surprising to see it, but it was also sad at the same time. And I also noticed too, that it didn't matter what tone I said it in, whether it was a gentle tone um, with love and concern, or if it had a little bit of a bite to it, regardless of that, people still made the same comments because whenever we hear something that immediately bothers us or offends us or that we feel strongly about in our emotions or personally have a strong conviction over all of us can have that tendency myself included all of us can have that tendency to immediately snap and to say something because we want to correct the situation or we want to offer our input or offer our two cents into it and some of these comments I especially noted on a a video I shared on YouTube with this And it was the one that was the more gentle tone, sharing the gospel. And these were some of the comments that were on there I want to share with you. Now, granted, there were people that agreed and that they were noting some of the same concerns themselves. They were um, thankful to hear the gospel being shared. But then these were some of the comments that were also shared. You need to repent of this jealous and judgmental legalistic spirit and not act angry. Another deliverance debater A sign that you may have a demon is the way you fight against deliverance ministries. Be careful, sister. You are causing division. You need to read the gospel. Jesus Christ has cast out demons, healed the sick, and raised the dead. And yes, he has. I agree with that because scripture tells us that. But we're not talking about Jesus here. Go on. 
This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. You better repent. Mind your own business. God doesn't need your help deciding whose ministry is good or bad. Get your own life. Maybe you need to attend one of uh, this person's meetings. I'm sure you will get deliverance from your religious spirit. Deceived is deceived. I hear your problem. You do. This is in capital letters. You do not have the Holy Spirit true discernment in mistrust. Read the Gospels and see how much Jesus cast out. Yes, you are not delivered because you are not in faith to be delivered. I disagree. This anointing on this individual has been so precious. You are taking bits and pieces of it. I do not trust you at all. Satan does not want to be cast out. I have been delivered. I know it is the only deliverance anywhere right now that's through very few Christians. What you are doing with the good news, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Ma'am, you need to take down this video and go before God. I guarantee he didn't lead you to make this. Why don't you deliver people who are oppressed and sick by the power of Jesus instead of wasting time judging others? Now, some of that may have sounded a little garbled because, and not to be nitpicky, but I think it would help us for one thing. And this is a mild point, but if you have an issue with what someone's saying, be sure that you're speaking in a clear way or you're writing in a clear way and writing in such a way that your grammar is actually making sense to where you don't look like you're being incoherent or that people think that you're not really a credible person to listen to because some simple things like that do make a difference. So these are some of the comments that were on that one post. If I wanted to sift back through, I could show you others. There's dialogues I've had with people. There's dialogues I've had with people on my blog at times of disagreements. And like I said, some of these have been very fruitful. And I've been able to learn from them as well and going, yeah, yeah you know, I don't have all the answers. This really helped me. It was another piece of the puzzle. Thank you so much for sharing that or keeping things in mind. Different aspects like that. But then you have people that are very much loyal to individuals in this particular example. And these are the kind of comments I've gotten over the past couple of years. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not even saved. You have a demon. You have a religious spirit. You have a critical spirit. You're a Pharisee that I don't know how many times I've heard that, that I'm a Pharisee. I would like to just tell you as a person that also used to use the Pharisee jab uh, if you will, the Pharisee snarky comment and to, to think, well, I'm going to pull that card out and I'm going to put someone in their place. I think that we need to understand that being a Pharisee is not what we think it is based on some what we've learned in some of these movements. If we actually look at the history of the Pharisee, the Pharisees were the ones that were putting extra yokes on people. They weren't even following the law. Jesus rebuked them because they knew the law, but they weren't following it. They were disobeying it. And on top of that, they were creating man-made traditions to supersede the law. And they were obeying the man-made traditions, putting extra yokes on people, extra burdens that the people couldn't live up to. They already couldn't live up to the law. The law was pointing back to the fact they needed the Savior. They needed Christ. That was the point of the law, to put a mirror up and say, you are not righteous in and of yourself. You need God. That's the point of the law. But the Pharisees were not only knew the law, but they didn't follow it. And they also added the man-made traditions. So they were adding additional burdens onto people that they couldn't attain or live up to. This is the issue that Jesus addressed with them time and time again. And when I think about it, there's a lot of things in the movement in this movement that are pharisaical because it's putting weights on people. It's putting additional burdens. I've talked about this before in the charismatic legalism of, you know, if I just do this, 
if I just go to another healing meeting, if I go to the, if I continue to go to these prophetic meetings, I'll get a word. If I get another sozo done, if I just pray harder, if I just pray longer, if I just shout louder, if I dance harder, if I, if I jump through all these hoops, as I've said before, then God will be pleased with me. God will do what I want him to do. Then I'll have this breakthrough. Then I'll have all the things that I want. Then I'll step into this ministry. Then I'll be able, you know, it goes on and on and on, but that's works-based. This is not perpetuating or this is not promoting or proclaiming the gospel. I began to think about some of these. It, It really was, as I was getting a lot of these comments, I started thinking about them and at times it was it was causing weariness because i would think you know i don't want to do this i don't want to say things for the wrong reason i don't want to be that person that's saying them because i want to be right i want to help other people because i realized the error of my own ways taking the log out of my own eye and wanting because of being able to do that now wanting to help take the speck out of my neighbor's eye or my, my sister's eye. That's the point. That's one of the reasons for doing that is because of seeing such error that I was once in and now wanting to help other people. And there have been times, um, you know, like I said, there have been times that I've had to really look at how I've said things and think, yeah, I was frustrated when I, when I said that particular thing. And so I need to watch that. I need to guard that. And we can all, we can all say that. We can all think back of conversations we've had with people or dialogue we've had back and forth. And if, if we're truly in Christ, the Holy Spirit will help to shed light on those certain areas and go, yeah, this is something that, that needs to be worked out uh, through your salvation. This needs to be worked out and, and refined because this is not pleasing or honoring God. You see what I'm saying? So I wanted to offer some thoughts on this. It's not just for me to just get on here and have a pity party and say, look how beat up I am and look how mean people are to me. I don't want people to hear that at all. I wanted to share this in the in the hopes of just for those of us that do say something, we don't have all these lovely comments that come back all the time of people singing our praises and they're really happy with everything that we're doing. There are a lot of comments sometimes that when you start saying the truth of what the word of God says, and quite frankly, what I've noticed, I'll just speak on as far as like the hyper charismatic movement, NAR movement. Whenever you start speaking out about things like this, it doesn't matter the tone. I mean, granted, if you're coming out in a rage, that doesn't help by the way. I'm and continuing to learn by the grace of God how to talk to people and to not just block people that the movement I came out of, you know, if people didn't agree with you, you just blocked them. That's silly. I mean, that's that's not even mature to do that. That that's an opportunity to engage with somebody and to talk with them. And or just to say, you know, I know this is not going to be fruitful, just leave them alone. Just leave it be. Now unless they're threatening you and they're using profanity, that's where I draw the line. If they if anybody starts doing that with that's that's yet to happen uh, so far in the past couple of years. But if anybody starts using profanity and or being threatening, then I will I would block them. I don't block people just because they disagree with me. But I do want to offer these, these some thoughts to consider, especially an encouragement, that the thoughts and encouragement to those that are addressing some of these matters and to encourage you and to maybe help you also in how to engage or to think about it from a biblical standpoint, because I do think it's important to engage with people. And it's also there's also times where we just need to be quiet and we need to um, not engage with with 
um, in a hostile way because we're not going to honor God in doing that. There's times that we need to speak up and then there's times that we need to, to listen more than we speak. And, um, J- you know, James talks about this, that we are quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. And, and I know for myself, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. I have to work on that continuously. That is something I have to, to work on in my salvation to work that out. That is something that is continuously being sanctified by the Holy Spirit through me is learning how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because by golly, I'm one of those people that I want to run in there like a bull in a china shop. And I want to go, no, 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 no. This is how it is. This is what the word of God says. This is what scripture says. And to, to correct the situation, I want to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to run ahead and do my own thing. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit by, and, and, be, and to be instructed by God's word. And I want to demonstrate that the, that God's word is instructing me by obeying what it says. And so if I'm not quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger, I'm disobeying God. And that's something that you and I both can understand. For example, that's just one example. If we're not obeying scripture, but we say that we're a professing Christian, then this is something that we need to continuously look at in our lives and say, God, forgive me, help me. Uh, I thank you, God, that your mercies are new every day. But I thank you, Lord, that, and I, and I thank you that your Holy Spirit is leading me and guiding me. Help me, Lord, help me to walk in humility and to and, and help to correct this situation or help to correct this conduct in my life because I want to glorify you. And God is faithful to help us in that. That's, that's the wonderful thing. We don't walk in condemnation. And that's something I, I've heard false teachers say and some of these that get very upset when you address their error or you address concerns even of what they're doing. I hear these teachers, uh, these ministers, these self Uh, proclaiming apostles and prophets, you know, they'll passive aggressively address people by saying, well, they're just Pharisees because they live under condemnation or, you know, they don't really have, they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, they question Jesus. And I'm going to get into those things too, because I honestly, I think those are red herrings or, you know, straw man arguments, or they're, they're just, or false dichotomies, depending on how you want to categorize them. But there are things that are said there, they negate the, the truth of what needs to be addressed. So for those of you that address concerns or address error that's not found in scripture and you're wanting to help other people, I hope in particular this encourages you. If you're listening to this and you're one of those people that maybe you are a dissenter as far as when people bring up scripture in context and you get very upset when people do that and you think that people are quenching the spirit or that they don't have the Holy Spirit or they're Pharisees. Maybe there's somebody like that listening to this. I don't know. This is for you as well. And I want you to be encouraged to go back to the word of God. I want all of us to be encouraged to go back to the word of God to show what our proper conduct is. Because contrary to popular belief, every time you read the Bible, you're fellowshipping with God. You're fellowshipping with the Lord. This is part of your intimacy with Christ. The intimacy of Christ has been so polluted and contaminated and tainted with, with things and, and making Jesus our boyfriend, which is a, this is a rabbit trail, but this is part of our intimacy, our fellowship with God. When we stay in the word and we're reading it and we are, the word talks about this. We've talked about this before about abiding in the word, remain in the word that we are fellowshipping with God. And again, by 
doing what what his instruction is, his word, his inerrant, infallible word says to do, his authoritative word that's all sufficient, when we obey his word, then we show that we belong to God. So having said all of that, I wanted to share some thoughts on this, some personal thoughts of some of the comments I just shared with you. Now, granted, those are not all the comments, but this was a, a recent thing that I just went back and looked at. So I wanted to share those. So I have learned, again, that no matter how gentle you may sound in in presenting an um, a, a concern or a particular issue that is of importance in the air that's being presented, no matter the tone, I've noticed there are people who are going to be offended or upset by what you're saying. That's just a given. It, it, you're not going to escape that. And if you're going to speak out for what the truth of the word says, then you need to be aware of that. And it's not about necessarily getting a thick skin, but it's about understanding that not everybody's going to like you and that you're not going to be popular saying these things. If you're trying to build your channel by, <laughs> by addressing some of, some of these areas and you think that you're going to be extremely popular and that's your reason for doing it, then, you know, it's going to be a long, hard road for that. Sometimes it's going to be difficult because people are not going to want to hear that. They're not going, they're just not going to. And especially in this type of movement where they've been taught loyalty and to be honorable and they've been taught that this man or woman of God is doing what Jesus did and they've been ingrained in these teachings and very little of the scripture being read to them, even in context, let alone just being pulled out of context and shared here and there in order to justify actions, then you're going to meet with this, with this opposition. That, that's part of it. And again, we need to go back to the Bible and to see how we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Another thing I've noticed when people say you're dividing the body, you're dividing the body. You shouldn't be talking about this. You're bringing division. It, it causes me to go to a couple of scriptures I'll, I'll mention. For one thing, Romans, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul actually addressed in the final instructions that he had for the believers in Rome, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, right there, Paul is making it clear that it is not professing believers that are causing the division here in this instance. It is actually the false teachers that are causing the division. And what does he say to them? That the, and they're also creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And what does he say? He says to avoid them. How are you supposed to avoid someone if you can't rightly judge according to John seven twenty four? You can't rightly judge, righteously judge. And that was Jesus talking, by the way, in John seven twenty four, that we are to righteously judge, that we are to separate out the facts of the case before we give an opinion, so to speak, that we are to understand what's going on, what scripture says versus what this person is saying, and to test what that person's saying against scripture to see if it is the truth. False teachers are the ones that divide. So we, we need to understand that. The other thing is, is that 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament deal with false teachers or false prophets in some way. So it was important to address concerns then when those when those books were written, when those letters were written, actually, when those letters were written to the churches, 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament address false teaching of some sort. 
Jesus himself even addressed false prophets, false teachers. He addressed them himself. The apostles that wrote these letters, those that were under apostles, and it was recognized as scripture when they wrote these based on the apostles' accounts, such as Luke and Mark, we see that they are addressing the false teachers at some point because this is important. You can't, and you know, we're told to, to judge by the fruit, to test, to, you will know them by their fruit, Jesus told us. Well, what do you do with fruit? You inspect it. You test it. You know, we don't just eat something and say, oh, that's an apple, and we see a big rotten piece in it. We are to do this. We are to judge. Now, that's not eternal judgment. I can't judge someone's eternity. I, that's not my place to do that. That is God's place. But in the context of Scripture, we are told to judge. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, when he was dealing with sexual immorality within the church? Paul is addressing the believers in Christ. And he tells them that they are, not have any, they are not to have anything to do with those who bear the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And then he encourages them to purge the evil person from among you when dealing with this, with the issue they were dealing with in Corinth, as far as this was concerned. So we are called to judge righteously within the church. We cannot judge outsiders. We are to judge within the church and we are to say, yes, this is, this is what's going on. Now, granted, you know, we see things that are going on in the world and we should proclaim the gospel. That is the answer to that problem. We proclaim the gospel and we call sin for what it is. We call it sin. We're talking about people that are professing believers and they say that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they're teaching something contrary to what scripture says, then they are leading sheep astray. And that is dangerous, my friend. And that is why there are those of us who do speak out because we are concerned for other sheep because we were a sheep that was wandering and going astray and we had turned to our own way and God laid upon him, according to Isaiah 53, the iniquity of us all. This is the reason why there are those of us that speak out, because we see the peril, the danger that's involved in this. We see, we can now see better because of taking the log out of our own eye. This is something to understand for those that may be listening that, that are dissenting or disagree. This is why we do this, because this is an eternal, this is eternal matter. These are these are important matters. These are worth fighting for. This is worth contending for the faith for like Jude talked about, that he wanted to talk about their common salvation. But Jude, the whole book of, I mean, read the whole book of Jude. Jude is talking about, which, you know, that would even be good. There was a recent podcast I was on called Take Me to Eternity. And um, I would encourage you to listen to her podcast. It's really, it's um, insightful. So I would encourage you to listen to that. But we actually did a recent episode about charismatic legalism. And she read a good amount of Jude. And so this, I think this would be definitely worth revisiting here. So in Jude, uh, beginning with verse three, Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay, stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, those people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord God comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Reading Jude, we can see that his main focus was to address the false teachers and to call them out and to call awareness to those believers in Christ and to remind them of the words of the apostles, the apostles found in the New Testament, that in the last time they, are, they will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. This is how they refer to them. And he then goes on to say in verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So again, we see this reference in Scripture. It is the false teachers that cause division. And also, too, on the flip side, Jesus did say that he came to bring a sword, that he was going to divide even family members among them themselves. He came to, to bring division in the sense of that he divided the truth from error. And so we see this in Scripture time and time again, that we can point to these verses that are telling us, reminding us, we are to be separated unto the Lord. We see false teachers that divide away from the truth. But we see also that Jesus Christ divides us to the truth. There, there's lots of different division going on here, but I want you to see when someone uses this, this uh, comment or this rebuttal to say, 
well, you're just bringing division. Well, let me remind you that there's a couple of different areas where there is division brought. False teachers bring division. We've already said this. Jesus said he would bring division and he does want his body united together. But the unity must be around the truth of the word of God. This is not a unity for unity's sake. And also, too, that that we are to be united um, around the truth of the word of God. And if someone is saying that they're a believer in Christ, then they are automatically opening themselves up to being scrutinized, to being tested, to uh, discernment, to making sure that they are witnessing as they are supposed to. And scripture even gives us examples, um, for one thing, in, in um, James, when I think about the book of James, when he is telling them about the prayer of faith, the believers in Christ, and telling them how to confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. And he goes down through there and is talking about the, the power of this prayer of fervently praying. In verse 19, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that that's just one brief example I want to point you to. But we are to call out false teaching. We are to address error. If we don't and we ignore it, then we become complicit in what's going on. And if we care about people, then we're going to say something. You know, I've heard this example before, so I'm going to use it. If I were to say to one of my children and they're getting ready to walk into the road and there are trucks and cars coming, if I'm to say it in a sweet tone, that's not going to get their attention. But what is going to get their attention is to call out to them, to maybe even yell at them and to pull them away. And even Jude talks about this, about snatching them out of the fire I'd encourage you to do a study on that, to look at Jude in that particular verse and and to study that out. But we sometimes when we're saying these messages, they don't come across as loving because sometimes the truth doesn't sound like it's love. But the truth is love when it's presented from from the Bible. When we're presenting the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we do it speaking the truth in love. And we are wanting people to hear the truth and to not perish and to not wander off into error. We want people to hear the truth and to walk in the truth. And we want fellow believers to do that. And as believers and as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're truly in Christ, we should be able to come and correct one another in a loving way and to, to bring it back to scripture and to say, this is what's going on. And we're addressing false teachers. It may sound a little bit more harsh, but we still do it in love because we love people enough to tell them the truth, including that false teacher. Because we want them to be brought to repentance. I was brought to repentance because of what I was falsely doing. And I was sincere in what I was doing. Let me just remind you about that. For my own sake, I was sincere in what I was doing, but I was sincerely wrong. And when scripture corrected me, and then there were other people I was listening to and gleaning from, and I was going to the scripture and realizing I was in error, but God granted me repentance. His kindness brings us to repentance. And it talks about that in Romans. Again, that's another good scripture for you to go to and to study that out. Correction doesn't always, it's not pleasant. (laughs) Calling things out that going against the grain of what, what many people want to hear is not always pleasant. But we do this in love. I say all that to say this is that it is important that we address these concerns because if scripture addressed them, then we need to address them. 
And we obviously want to do that in love. When people are upset and expressing concerns in scripture of said concerns pertaining to deliverance ministry, for example, or the misuse of the gifts or focusing on extra biblical revelation, prophecy, miracles, signs and wonders. These are a lot of things I talk about because of my involvement in, in that movement. And people say to stop saying something because it is in the Bible. You know, I've had people say this, why are you saying anything to them? It tells us to cast out devils and and to heal the sick. And, you know, we need to look at those scriptures in context and who the audience was that Jesus was talking to for one thing. But also, too, when people say, what's in scripture? You know, why are you, why do you have such a problem? Uh, uh, Why are you addressing this issue? And why are you calling this out? Or why are you saying something negating this when it's in scripture? I want to say, yeah, and so is testing all things. You know, testing all things is in scripture. So is the example of the Bereans in Acts 17, that they tested what Paul said, and they read through the, they went through the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was saying was in fact the truth. That's in scripture. So do we have a problem with that going on? So is the command to test the spirits. First John 4 is in there. So why is it a problem for, for me or for others to say something? That, that's a question that I would pose. Uh, when people are telling me or others that I need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the entire video has been sharing scripture, pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings pause for concern. And I think a lot of it has to do with when I hear people say that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's pointing to, well, you're not doing signs and wonders. They're pointing back to miracles, signs and wonders. That's not the gospel, first of all. And we can get into a whole different discussion on that. But I would encourage you to go back to scripture and to look at that. That Those were very important and they, they were significant. And there was a reason for them because they pointed back to Jesus being the Messiah when he did them. And it fulfilled the Old Testament. So there's a lot of correlation that you can see when he's healing lepers, when he's healing the woman with the issue of blood. There's different things that you need to also go back to the Old Testament in order to see the correlation between that and to see why that was so important. He was fulfilling the law for one thing. He was fulfilling the law. He was fulfilling the words of the prophets. He did not come to to come to do away or to abolish those, but he came to fulfill them. Jesus Christ said that himself, but he came to show that he was the Messiah, the gospel, according to John. If you read at the end in chapter 20, Paul, uh, John makes it clear that he wrote this so that people would know that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that all those things pointed back to him. The apostles were given the ability, the authority to do these things. They were under the authority of Jesus Christ, but they were given the uh, abilities to do these things because it validated and verified their ministry that it was from God and that it was testifying of Christ. Now, does God still heal today? Does he do miracles? Yes, he does. But when people say that you're not sharing the full gospel and they're basing it on signs and wonders, then I really become concerned that there is not a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the greatest miracle, by the way, is raising a spiritually dead person to life. And that's what God does when he regenerates us and he transforms us by the power of the salvation that only comes by faith through Jesus Christ alone. Now, when I was in the hyper-charismatic movement slash NAR, I was not critiqued or criticized for the prophetic words I released. I, I cannot recall a time that I was ever critiqued or criticized or received some of the comments that I've received now coming out of this. I was patted on the back. I was told how anointed I was, how powerful I was. I did not hear any pushback or negativity when in this movement. And it was only when I spoke differently and referred to the Word of God in context that these con- that these comments started. And I've been told I am void of the spirit, I am not saved, I am a Pharisee, I am jealous, 
I have not cast out demons or demonstrated miracles, which that's not true, by the way. I've, I was part of this movement for years, so that's not true. And so I am not ministering the gospel in spite of the fact that the gospel is proclaimed now when it was not before in, in what I used to write and what I used to say. And I also once participated in deliverance ministry, performing signs and healings, having dreams and visions, speaking things to people that did come to pass, and also speaking things to people in corporately that either did not come to pass or were so vague that it could not be tested appropriately and it could not really be called prophecy. When expressing concerns about a ministry and someone references how Jesus was questioned and they seem to make a correlation with that person in such a way that to question that individual is to question Jesus, um, that individual is not Jesus Christ. We probably don't need to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. The questioning of Jesus and ascribing his power to Satan by the Pharisees was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in reference to his earthly ministry. And Jesus even instructed his disciples that they would know someone by their fruit. And I mentioned that already. So is fruit not to be inspected? Did Jesus not say that the elect would potentially be deceived by the working of signs and wonders by false prophets? He said that in Matthew 24. Uh, this is a false dichotomy in the first statement. When we when we hear people make these concerns or expressing these concerns, or their their com- when we hear people expressing these comments in in rebuttal to concerns expressed, that they say, "Well, Jesus was questioned too, but this person is not Jesus." And so, again, we are told that we are to test uh, just because my I myself or someone else brings a. Uh, questions or brings pause about someone, what they're teaching and or what they've said and, and the actions that they're uh, perpetuating and promoting, that does not mean that we're questioning Christ. And, and I think that we need to remember that. Uh, why is the word of God not sufficient? This is a question that I keep having over and over again, personally, when I think about some of this, why is the word of God not sufficient? Why is there a craving for a fresh word from God when not even knowing what his holy written word says first? And this is the danger that we get into because this is how, in like in Ephesians 4, when people are not brought into spiritual maturity, people are blown around by every wind of doctrine. If you don't know what the Bible says, let alone know what it says in the context of when it was written, who the audience was, what the application is, who the author was, why it was being written, the historical context behind it, if you haven't taken time at least to just read the word, let alone try to do some Bible study on some of these areas and all you're hearing, all your, your diet consists of is you only hear the word a couple of days a week. And then if you do hearing the word, if you are hearing the word, it may not even be exegetically taught to you properly. And if you're, if that's all you're getting or you're wanting, or maybe you're sitting in services and all you hear is prophetic words, you hear these prophetic words or they're, they're claimed to be prophetic words. And that's your diet on what you think God's word is. That's not God's word for one thing that has to be tested. But we know that the scripture is the word of God. And so I see that there is this craving for a fresh word all the time. Well, we've got to hear the voice of God for ourselves. We have to hear a word from the Lord. Well, you've got a word from the Lord. You have the Bible. You have scripture. This, this is your ultimate authority. You can go back to scripture and trust what it says. And if you can't, then uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. <laughs> 
I mean, th- these, for one thing, this, these are things that we really need to honestly, all of us have to t- take a good look and inspect ourselves and to do a heart check, if you will, and to make sure that what we're doing and what we're following is is agreeing with what God's word says, and we're not disobeying him. So why is the word of God not sufficient? That's a question for all of us. Why be okay with misappropriated scripture and angered by scripture applied in context? That's something else that baffles me. It, It doesn't anger. There are people that do not get angry when they hear a scripture ripped out of context and misappropriated and narcissist or eisegist to insert themselves into the text and it, for it to be centrally focused on a man or woman. But then if you try to say, well, actually, that's not what scripture means. And, you know, we want to testify of Christ and glorify him. So this is what it actually says in context. People, there are some people that get really upset when you do that. And I, I would just push back and say, why is that okay to misappropriate scripture? But but then to be very upset when it's applied in the way it was written. Doesn't that help you? Doesn't that instruct you? Doesn't that guide you into all truth? I've noticed that when the anointed leaders call out assumed Pharisees, that the masses cheer, and they will continue to parrot what they've heard. And I say that because I did the same thing. When you hear something regurgitated over and over again, and you hear your um, your your leaders saying this, that you look up to, that you respect, that you trust them, and you hear them parroting these things, you begin to parrot them yourself. If you're not going back to scripture and being a student of the word yourself, growing in your relationship with the Lord in that capacity and making sure that you have his word written on your heart and that you are following his ways and that you are glorifying God and you're just trusting in what this person says and you're just you know, spouting off these good sound bites that you hear, that's, that's not helpful. And it, you're not growing in the, in the Lord. And so I've heard some of these, quote, anointed leaders. By the way, there is no difference in anointing, by the way. There are no, there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ with people that are haves and have-nots. But you hear these leaders call out assumed Pharisees, and you hear people cheer, and they're like, amen, preach it, yeah, Oh, I agree. But then when serious concerns are addressed by those who profess Christ and are standing on the truth of his word, the pitchforks come out. So then that's when you start hearing, and I've heard this, well, you're just a Pharisee. You're, you're just a Pharisee. You're just jealous. You just have a religious spirit. You're just critical. Again, I'm not the only one that's heard this. So this is not me having a, 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 a metaphorical Elijah moment going, I'm the only one that's suffering. I'm not the only one that, that has to deal with this. And this is my, this is like first world uh, suffering compared to what other people have gone through. So I need to, um, sometimes I have to tell myself like, suck it up, buttercup. Like <laughs> the, uh, mean comments on social media is, uh, yeah, that's, I guess in a way it could be persecution, but you know, it's nothing compared to what true persecution looks like when your life is being threatened for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, It seems acceptable for judgment to ensue from that side of the aisle, if you will, but when rightly judging according to the word is done by those who do not share the same beliefs and practices, then it's not welcome. And so this is something that we all have to be aware of and look at. We want to honor God in our actions. Again, and make sure that we're operating in accordance with the word. So what are we to do when faced with such comments and pushback? Well, we examine our motives and we ask God to search our hearts. And again, I go back to the beginning. We remind ourselves that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
Uh, We pray that we would win our brothers and sisters back to the saving faith of Jesus Christ if they have wandered into error. And we proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to all who will hear. And that is what we are told to do. We are told to make disciples. We are to go and to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is to repent and believe that he will save you from the wrath of God, that you have rebelled against God, but that he has brought his son to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to reconcile you back to the Father, and to give you the promise of eternal life. And the call is to repent and believe. We follow the instructions of Matthew 7, of taking the log out of our own eye before trying to remove the speck out of our brother's eye or sister's eye. And yes, we are able to do that. Uh, Matthew 7 in context is talking about hypocritical judgment. And so Jesus is giving the instruction, you don't go around judging people and telling them what to, what they need to do, but you need to deal with yourself first. And then after you've dealt with yourself, then you can go and help your brother. And it's making this analogy of the thing you're dealing with personally is looks far greater than what your brother or sister is dealing with your neighbor. So deal with yourself first and then you can help them. It doesn't tell us we're not supposed to judge. Again, we've talked about that before. So when we have had the log removed from our own eye, the sin that entangles us and we are not judging with hypocrisy, then we can do so in order to love others. We want to do as Ephesians 4.15 says, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we want to speak the truth in love. And that's part of growing in spiritual maturity. We don't want to be children who are tossed to and fro, as verse 14 talks about in Ephesians 4, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We want to grow up, and in order to grow up, we must speak the truth in love, and we must be willing to hear the truth in love so that we can come into spiritual maturity. We want to follow what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I think that's a very powerful, obviously the whole Bible is very powerful. That particular verse of the, the, what we're talking about today, that is a very powerful verse I would encourage you to meditate on and to uh, understand Even in verse 23, it reminds us, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And there are things sometimes that we pick battles that are not really relevant to the Word of God. But when we're talking about improper teaching, errant teaching that is telling people things, that's adding more bondage to them, that is making a works-based gospel, for example, those are battles worth fighting. That is worth contending for the faith over and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in spirit and truth. But we are to not be quarrelsome. Uh, We are to be kind. We are able, we are to be patient. We are to be gentle, um, correcting our opponents with gentleness. And that's something all of us can work on. I am still a work in progress on that. Thanks be to God. He has brought me quite a bit of ways because before I would have really just lit into people before I would have just let them have it. And and that's just being transparent with you because I thought, well, I'm a prophet and this is just part of my boldness. That doesn't give a license to be, you know, rude. There was always that disclaimer. We were talking about prophets, you know, it doesn't as a disclaimer to be rude, but yet you would see a lot of people that claim to be prophets and they were rude. And I was one of those people that could be, could be rude, could be very blunt. And just because of what I was saying was true does not mean it was done in love. And so I've also addressed that as well. Honestly, God has been using the dialogues that I engage with people on sometimes 
that are rebutting what I'm saying or they're they're unhappy with what I'm saying and they make comments and if I uh, engage them in conversation according to scripture, God has really been using that to refine me and to humble me in that aspect of going, remember to be gentle, remember to be patient, remember to be kind. Now, there have been a few instances that I've engaged with people that believe that they are prophets and they're coming on there and I have engaged with them in a more direct and firm way because of what they're saying because it's error. And so again, this is we have we want to use wisdom. We want to uh, glorify God in our speech and what we're doing and always pointing back to Christ. That there's sometimes that we have to be more firm, but we always want to do it in love. Make sure that we're doing it in love. And when we are veering off and we're doing things in our own way and our own strength in our own understanding, we want to be quick to repent before the Lord and to ask him to help us, to lead us into his truth and to glorify him. And lastly, we are to do as John seven twenty four instructs. And so I want to read that to you before we close out for today. John seven twenty four says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now that word judge there means to form an opinion after separating the particulars of a case. When I look that up, and according to the New Testament meaning of that word judge there. So we are not to judge by appearances. And we've all done that and been guilty of that. We've been we've judged people based on how they look, what the outer appearance looks like, but God says to judge with right judgment. So we are to judge within the church. We are to judge based on the fruit of a person's life, based on what they're teaching. We are to do that in accordance with scripture. We are to judge based on what scripture says, not what our opinion is, not what our, our uh, favorite teacher says or our favorite preacher or favorite quote apostle or prophet of the current hour is, but we are to judge rightly according to scripture. And I would just gently point this out as well. Whenever some people tell you not to judge and then they proceed to say, why are you acting like this? You're just being harsh and critical. I would give a loving pushback, a reminder when someone does that. And if you've ever done that, and I've done that in the past, when we do that, we say, well, you're not supposed to judge. And then we go on to judge that person. We're actually guilty of what we're, what we're uh, upset that that person is doing. So be mindful of that. (laughs) Be mindful of when, when you're saying that, be sure that you're taking things back to the word. That's, that's the foundation we've got to stand upon. So I hope that uh, this has been encouraging for those that are a part of these types of ministries where you're addressing uh, teachings that are of great concern, that could be leading people off into error or causing people to not see the word in, in the proper light and to be good Bereans. But I hope that this encourages you and it helps you. And for those that may not agree with the things that are said by myself or by others when we're addressing things that are of concern, that are contradicting what the Bible says, I would encourage you to even evaluate yourself as we do ourselves and to go back to what the Word says. If there is if there is a teaching being presented and it's getting uh, pushback because of concerns, I would encourage you to search it out. You know, don't just write that person off and say, well, they're just a Pharisee. You need to see why they're addressing this issue and really truthfully look at it for yourself and not just write it off and then weigh it. Weigh what the person is saying that's negating or 
bringing concerns about that teaching versus what you've heard, what you've been taught and make sure that you're not just choosing sides because of personal favorites or that you have been ingrained with this teaching of loyalty and honor in a culture. Again, I hope you found this helpful. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.